formal mission of U equals me is stated as a movement of conscientious objectors to intolerance, or simply stated a movement against intolerance. And the exploration of that statement really gets to what what are the similarities between people? What do we all have in common? Why are we really equal as humankind? And that's what we're going to explore. This podcast is about exploring conversational thoughts and interviews with extraordinary people living ordinary lives of well-being. Discussions on exactly what well-being means to people day to day, factors that can influence it both internally and externally. We glean insights on how to survive and thrive in feeling satisfied in life with a greater sense of purpose. Guest hosts bring fresh new outlooks and opinions from spirituality, science, worldviews, and standing up and speaking out for what's right. It's pretty interesting. Man needs each other and planet Earth to survive. Check it out. I think you'll like what you hear. We thank our family and friends from around the world for listening and supporting our U Equals Me podcast, understanding the importance of our global community and common unity. My name is Cindy Jarvis, foundress of this organization. This is a nonprofit organization that exists to influence public opinion on issues of equality, civil rights, or social action. In today's podcast, we're sharing a story of two men who do not believe in an unprovoked war on innocent people. In September of this last year, two men set out from Russia, hoping a boat would carry them to asylum on U.S. soil. Their quest for freedom did not go as planned. The voyage had been perilous with its mercurial storms and frigid temperatures. The Bering Sea is one of the most dangerous bodies of water. The pair had traveled down the coast of Chukoka, Russia's easternmost province. It is so remote that it's often excised from maps of the world. They had braved lashing storms and somehow managed to evade detection in a heavily militarized region of Russia. This story is written by Mike Brady uh, from the Seattle Times, titled, A Vast Sea, A Small Boat, an escape from Russia's war. A series of knocks rattled his apartment door one day last fall, and Maxim peered through the peephole to see two soldiers in uniform. They were military enlistment officers, he knew, expanding the vast conscription effort for the war in Ukraine to Russia's remote Far East. The 44-year-old fisherman kept in motionless silence until the officers moved along. Knowing they would be back, Maxim went that night to the home of a friend, Sergei, who had received an unwelcome visit of his own. Together they poured over maps in Sergei's kitchen table, trying to find a way to flee the country. A war where thousands of young Russians were dying, Sergei offered a plan that at first seemed unfathomable. I propose we travel by sea, Sergei said. The idea was the start of a daring and daunting journey in which the two men set off in a small fishing boat with a 60-horsepower motor to travel hundreds of miles over several days 
past Russian border guards and through the treacherous Bering Sea to win asylum on U.S. shores. It was a desperate quest for freedom and one that did not go according to plan. For months, thousands of Russian men with similar misgivings have been fleeing the country, driving across the border, taking trains into Europe, or securing flights overseas. Some of those escaping military service traveled by plane to Latin America, then northward, with more than 35,000 Russians arriving last year to seek asylum at U.S. borders. Maxim and Sergei, who asked that their last names not be published to protect their families, did not have the money for such a journey, nor did they have much support. In the town of Evignet, wedged between the mountains and the Bering Sea on the edge of the Arctic Circle, it seemed most everyone was a supporter of President Vladimir Putin, even as the prolonged war in Ukraine had called more local men into service for conflict thousands of miles away. With the aid of VPNs that allowed them to bypass Internet censorship and find news beyond the nationalist propaganda coming out of Moscow, Sergei and Maxim had grown to reject the Kremlin's narrative about the war. They would not willingly join what they saw as an unjustified invasion launched by a government so vehemently opposed. But Maxim was not sure they would survive a trip from Evanyet to Alaska mainland. Then as they examined the maps further, they noticed St. Lawrence Island, part of Alaska, right in the middle of the Bering Sea. The journey to get there would not be nearly as far. On their cell phones, satellite images showed that the island was home to a village and an airstrip. We can do that, Maxim agreed. He had a boat, about 16 feet, the kind of vessel best suited for fishing in tame waters of Cresta Bay. This journey would take them far beyond that some 300 miles across Russian coastline, then deeper into the turbulent seas. It was their best option, they decided, as long as the fall weather, often frigid so far north, stayed calm, and as the Russian border patrol did not spot them. The risks were clear. There was a possibility they may not survive, but to them it was a chance worth taking. The men had little time to spare. With the sun setting ever lower in the horizon, temperatures were steadily dropping and soon would be well below freezing, too cold for them to survive a crossing by sea. They already were eyeing storms that could capsize their boat, and the military enlistment teams were still roaming through town. By the end of the day, one Monday in September, the men had a plan to depart at the end of the week as soon as the weather offered a window of calm. They pulled their money to purchase several hundred liters of fuel, filling orange drums that pushed the boat's dark hull deeper into the water. They gathered clothes, camping gear, coffee, cigarettes. They packed water, chicken, eggs, sausage, bread, potatoes. They charged their GPS unit phones to help navigate the route. Maxime's parents and siblings, indigenous Chukchi, were vacationing away from home when he and Sergei decided to leave, and hoping to keep their escape a secret, he opted not to share his plans with his parents. Sergei, 51, would 
be leaving behind friends and a transportation business. Elsewhere in Russia were his mother and two daughters. The men were anxious, but they got a jolt of optimism after seeing a video on a telegram messaging platform. At a news conference that week, a reporter had asked the White House press secretary about the U.S. policy for handling people who fled Russia. Anyone seeking refuge for persecution, regardless of their nationality, may apply for asylum in the United States and have their claim adjudicated on a case-by-case basis. The spokesperson, Corinne Jean-Pierre, responded. By Thursday, with only wisps of clouds in the sky, the men gathered at the pebbled shoreline. They told friends they were going fishing, then pushed off into the water, unsure they would ever be back, and also unsure they would find a new home. The first leg of the route was a familiar one, just a couple of hours across the bay to Conneringo, where Maxim was born, and where they would stay with some of his friends. After spending the night in refueling themselves and the boat, they departed again in the morning, following the coastline eastward for more than a hundred miles. With seas tranquil, they pressed on, but their progress was hampered by the boat, which kept stalling every couple of hours, forcing them to troubleshoot the motor and adjust fuel lines, sowing worry about how the vessel would hold up for the remainder of the trip. They arrived at the community of Enmelin by 5 p.m., renting rooms from locals. But they faced a new problem. A storm system arrived, with winds whipping down the treeless hillside and the foaming seas below. When they awoke the next morning, it was still too rough. So was the next day. But the storm finally passed, and the men set out once again, trailing the squalls to the east. The disturbed seas were much choppier than they had been, with crashing waves spraying over Sergei's side of the boat. The small windshield did little to protect them from the elements. Before long, water filled the base of the boat, the bilge pump grinding in constant wear as it tried to keep up. They were worried about towns ahead on the eastern edge of the Chukchi Peninsula, where many Russian border guards were stationed. The men had put their cell phones on airplane mode, hoping not to be tracked. They kept their satellite phone off. As they approached the areas with more population, they veered into deeper waters, hoping that staying a little over a mile offshore would be enough. They argued about the best strategy. Maxime wanted to navigate an even wider berth to avoid detection. Sergei, already drenched and less confident, tried to stop him. He wanted to stay in calm waters. With the sun setting, they began searching for a place out of the elements where they could pull up their boat. They found a cove, dropped anchor, and tied up to a boulder on shore. There they discovered an abandoned shack, its paint peeling boards decaying, and they set up a tent inside. The next morning, Maxim awoke early, trekking up the hillside with a pair of binoculars to look for border patrol activity and gauge whether the weather was clear enough to proceed to the most difficult part of the voyage, crossing the Bering Sea. He worked his way back down the campsite to report the sea is calm, he said. They cooked up some chicken, made tea, then set off using their GPS unit 
to point them toward St. Lawrence Island. As they accelerated away from the Russian coast, Maxim kept scanning behind them looking for helicopters or patrol boats. His boat surely did not have the speed to outrun them. They had about 50 miles to go, passing walruses and watching as an orca followed them for part of the crossing. Then the waves started to rise again, tossing the boat through swells as if they were riding a motorcycle through the mountains. Sometimes it would feel as if they were in a ditch, with water rising up on both sides of them. When going up the swells, the boat's motor would buzz, strained to the edge of its capacity. Wave crests broke over the hull, dousing them. Then at the peak of one of the swells, Sergei stood up and shouted, The island! Where, Maxime called. He could not see long distance as well. You're heading right toward it, Sergei replied. The island was bathed in an orange glow of twilight. A group of villagers on all-terrain vehicles had spotted them and was zipping out to shore. Maxime turned to Sergei and said, They're not going to shoot us, are they? Maxime put the boat into full throttle as he approached the shore, then cut the engine as they sloshed up to the U.S. soil for the first time. The men climbed out of the boat. They opened up their translation apps on their phones, typing out a message for those coming to greet them. We don't want the war. We want political asylum. Word soon spread through the community of Gamble, Alaska, home to about 600 people, nearly all Alaska natives. As some used a tractor to pull the boat above the tideline, others brought the men to the local police station. Food began to pour in from all over town, pizza, sausages, peanut butter, soup, tea. The men told the growing crowd about their journey and desire for freedom, and people there spoke of the generational connections of indigenous communities that cover the Bering Sea, including the Chuchki people, like Maxim. One person in Gamble reported having a grandfather born on the Russian side. Many had other relatives. Someone told him it was a shame that the border had ever been created. People could go back and forth across the sea all the time before they made these maps. But the next day, the world of borders returned. U.S. immigration officers arrived from mainland and flew Sergei and Maxime off to what would be three months in an immigration detention facility in Tacoma. It was only this month that the two men were released and they began contacting family and friends to let them know they were alive. They had fled Russia, and they were safe in the United States, for now. They've started sharing their story, speaking to the New York Times through an interpreter, interviews in Alaska and Washington State, along with GPS-stamped photos, corroborate much of their account. Like most Russians who have begun arriving at America's borders, they have received no firm assurances that they can stay. Asylum petitions can take a year or more to process. Winning them means being able to prove the threat they faced in Russia, something lawyers in the United States feel confident enough about. While waiting, they have tried to sort out what a new life in the United States might mean. They signed up for English classes, and Sergei put out feelers on a new business venture. Maxim started talking about going back to Alaska to retrieve the boat he left there the one that saved them. End of story.
This is a story, a true story about resilience, hope, and the importance of democracy. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Our Statue of Liberty famously proclaims that uh, in a historic poem by Emma Lazarus. The two Russians who had reached St. Lawrence Island in Alaska by fishing boat to escape being mobilized into the army have been granted permission to stay in the U.S. Both men have been released after spending three months in custody and will be allowed to work in a few months, writes The Economist. This is an interesting story, firstly, uh, because this tells us Russia's conscripting men in their 40s and 50s, which is an act of desperation. But more importantly, these men would not be leaving if they had a choice. Most immigrants leaving their homes, jobs, family, and friends would not be leaving if they had personal freedoms. Personal freedoms are on the line for many Americans right now. Our far-right leaders are in favor of stripping our own personal freedom freedoms in a woman's right to choose, in your personal right to your own sexuality. The far right in our own country of the United States of America want to rewrite our black history so we look better. We have a tax on our free press, and a select few of our congressional leaders want to stop America's aid to Ukraine. If democracy is not allowed to live in Ukraine, we lose democratic countries around the world, which puts the United States on the precipice of losing our own personal freedoms. Democracy is a constant movement forward that needs to be protected by its people, for the people. America is at a fork in the road right now, and we need to be on red alert and protect her tired, her poor, and yearning to breathe free. Thanks for listening today. You can find us on the web at uequalsme.org. We have our uh, t-shirts, our merchandise uh, that we sell to help support uh, the work of this foundation. You can find that merchandise on U Equals Me Etsy store, all one word in your Google search. And you can download our complimentary ebook, Wisdom Along the Way, by joining our One Worlders group at uequalsme.org. Thank you. Go in love and bring in light.